came down at 5 o'clock for the 5 o'clock sit. Just had a few minutes and walked out over by the lavender garden. And it's always so lovely to see people who are standing, doing their standing meditation. Or actually, actually, there was a person in each posture. <laughs> there was a person standing. There was a person lying down. There was a person sitting. And there was a person walking. <laughs> and it was so lovely to see that just that inner stillness, this would appear, this appearance of the, the outer form supporting that inner stillness. And just as I've walked around over the days, and just as Jeremy mentioned too, just seeing people walk and sit and walk and sit, you know, this really, this getting into the rhythm of, that, of the form here. And we have this particular form, and this form is an ancient form, really, in the Buddhist tradition. We have this form of the sitting and the walking and the sitting and the walking and attending to, to the mindfulness in all of our activities and postures and form, uh, different, different forms. And, and you, you might think of it as being a rather repetitive practice. Just, we're just doing the same thing again and again and again, sitting and walking and sitting and walking. And then when the mind drifts off, coming back, you know, grounding ourselves again in the breath and the body, again and again and again. You'll have to leave it where it was because now it's too bright. <laughs> Thank you. And if it's too bright, you can turn it off. You can turn it off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, we, so it can feel very repetitive. Very repetitive, and one of my colleagues actually calls uh, calls this the ex- the exhaust the exhaustion method, <laughs> where in some ways we just have to keep doing it and doing it and doing it till something wears down. <laughs> uh, Trungpa Rinpoche, one of the one of the crazy wisdom uh, teachers, said, "You know, it's like wearing." shoes until they give out. You just have to keep walking and walking and walking in those same shoes until they just give out and you don't have to put the shoes back on anymore. It's like you finally throw them away. It's like manual labor. You know, you just do it again and again and again. I mean, there has to be a reason why we do this practice or why would we do it? I mean, some people have been asking that, you know. <coughs> there has to be something that we're connecting with, or why would we do it? It's so repetitive and so exhausting. And it's said that one of the reasons that we do it is for the pure heart's release. The pure heart's release. It's a lovely phrase that's used in the tradition. The heart finally releases all that it's holding. Let's go. That final letting go. And there's the pure heart's release. It seems that we have to do this 
again and again and again and again, this returning back and returning back, being present and taking a look and taking a look. Because it takes a lot for us to finally see that there is no experience, there is no sense pleasure, there is no situation that is going to give us any lasting fulfillment. And it seems that we just keep looking and keep seeking and keep trying to get somewhere, to get something, you, you know, get some state, get some situation, something that is going to say, yeah, that's it. It's going to do it for us. And yet, what you know, it might take years, you know, just looking and looking and looking and seeing that everything comes to an end. Every constructed thing comes to an end. Nothing survives. Everything that is constructed into form will fall apart. And yet we seem to miss the obvious. <laughs> and we keep constructing, we keep constructing, we keep making things important and valuable and holding on and getting attached and then we suffer again and again and again. There is a saying in the Dhammapada from the Buddha that goes like this. All created things are impermanent. Seeing this with insight, one becomes disenchanted with suffering, with dukkha. This is the path to purity. I'll read it again. All created things are impermanent. Seeing this with insight, one becomes disenchanted with the suffering. It's like you finally just like give up. <laughs> what 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 is this suffering that keeps getting recreated? This is the path to purity. This is what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk about this disenchantment, this this path of purity to the pure heart's release. Where what happens for us that finally we let go. We let go. We stop holding on. In Pali, which is the ancient language that these teachings came down in, uh, the Pali word for disenchantment is nibbida. And the translation for it is without finding. Without ni, ni uh, uh, Nibida, without finding. The ni is the without. The nibida, the bada is with, is the without finding. Is the finding. And and this is a story from Andy Olensky, who is a Pali scholar uh, with the uh, the Berry Center for Buddhist Studies in Massachusetts. And 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 he explains nibida this way. He says a, a dog comes across a bone exposed to the elements for many months. It's bleached of any flesh or marrow. And the dog gnaws on it and determines that it's not finding any satisfaction. And it turns away rather fed up. The dog is enchanted by the prospect of gratification as he scrapes away furiously at the bone 
But when he finally wakes up to the truth that the bone is empty of anything that will offer any satisfaction, <laughs> he becomes disenchanted, spits it out, and kind of disgusted and walks away. This is this important word in the teachings, in the Buddhist teachings of Nibbida. And so, in a way, that's what we see. Many of you have seen that. You know, that in, the, in, the, in the week, when you're, you're trying to uh, create an experience or trying to get some satisfaction in the meditation or um, wanting something particular to happen or seeing the ways that you construct things in your life that aren't giving you the satisfaction that you hoped for, and then, of course, then you're starting to plan again about things in the future that might then bring those things. And this, all this kind of busyness and this occupation with this trying to find something that's going to do it, some kind of satisfaction. And yet it seems we're left empty-handed again and again and again, as we've been talking about on the retreat. I'm reminded of that Edgar Allan Poe poem that I read about how he said, Oh God, can I not grasp even one grain of sand as it goes through his fingers? Can I not grasp even one grain? What we see is that things come to an end. Everything comes to an end. I was noticing for myself, I think it was yesterday when I was coming down the path from my hut down to uh, lunch with Jeremy in his hut. And uh, I was just, as I was coming down the path, I just, I was feeling, I think, just this immense happiness, just immense happiness about being here being here on the retreat, being here at Temawata, it's one of my favorite places in the whole world, being here, and I just, this just well, this wave of happiness came over me, and the thought that followed the recognition of the happiness was, I may never experience this happiness again in my life. There was just this recognition that Oh, you know, just let this in right now because I don't know whether I'll ever feel it again in my entire life. And it was such an interesting, I haven't had that kind of thought before. It was just, but it was such a kind of a, 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 a pulling in and a fully experiencing the kind of happiness that I was feeling because I knew that it was fleeting. I knew that it would change, but it was so profound and it was so full. And I could feel too, and I can feel, you know, these couple of days, because these last couple of days, I can feel, I don't want this retreat to end. <laughs> I, was telling, I was telling Jeremy earlier, it's like, I, I really want to stay here. <laughs> but I don't want to just stay at Temawata is I want to stay here with all of you. <laughs> I want this to keep going, you know. I just, you know, it's, it's just well, the, the fulfillment that I'm feeling being here with all of you and, and engaging at the depths of the practice in the way that we are. It's just so fulfilling. And I can see how I can then begin to lean into it and want to, can I hold it somehow? Can I hold this together so it will never end? 
But it's a total fantasy, right? You know, I can I can get into the fantasy book, but it's a complete fantasy because this is going to end. It's going to come to an end. And I'm going to have to walk out there, just like all of you, and enter into whatever's waiting for <laughs> me out there, up on the hill and on the road, and and experience that too, because that's the next thing. But I can I can feel it's like, oh, you know, the sorrow and you know, the kind of like, oh, why does it have to end, you know? <laughs> And yet it's, the, the, again, the recognition that all constructed things, we constructed this, we brought this into form. This wasn't here before. It was just in empty huts, you know, <laughs> empty huts. Not that it's completely empty, right, because there's amazing chi energy here, there's amazing uh, life energy here. But, you know, we weren't here, and the schedule and what we've created wasn't here, and then, and then it's all going to be broken down and fade away. All things come to an end. There's these four um, subjects for daily reflection that some people uh, meditate on in the morning or when they're doing their meditation. I am the nature to age. I have not gone beyond aging. I am the nature to become sick. I have not gone beyond sickness. I am the nature to die. I have not gone beyond death. So we're talking about this who we take ourselves to be in this mortal body. This will change. And it does, right? We all can recognize. I've been with a number of you over the years and I see how we're changing. <laughs> Browning a few more gray hairs, you know, <laughs> wearing glasses, <laughs> don't have the strength we used to have. Mm-hmm. And the fourth one is, all that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise, will become separated from me. Yeah. Just to, to bring it in, it's all going to come to an end. You know, and we can really reflect on it and take it in. I can remember times when, uh, more so on the three-month retreats, when I do the more uh, intensive retreats, and the concentration gets very, very subtle and very refined and really can see the changing nature, coming and going, coming and going. Sometimes when the concentration gets very one-pointed, it's just like a... A high-powered micro- the mind is like a high-powered microscope, and you just see like the whew, everything's just flittering and vibrating in the uh, uh, the minute uh, conditions. And I remember one time in doing my walking meditation, I was primarily what was coming into view was the ending of things, because you can see the arising of things, but you can also see the ending of things. It's the different stages of meditation; it just comes naturally. And at this stage in my meditation, I was just seeing the endings of things. And there was one point where I was doing my walking meditation, and I could, I, I could see my foot rising and disappearing, and then moving and disappearing, and then placing and disappearing. It was like the actual formation disappeared. Just very, I'm talking about very fast. But it was the ending of the formation, the ending of my foot. 
And then it was reborn again in a different way, but it was like you could just see that, you know, it was so, so clear that things come to an end. Nothing, everything is in this, this state of change. This dynamic state of change. So when something comes into one form, it breaks up, it ends and goes into another form. We can start to see, we see this is not something so, again, so mystical. You can see the, the thought patterns. You can see the emotions. You can see the aging and the change in the body. You can see the sicknesses come and go, you know, even on this retreat. Sometimes the body's healthy, sometimes the body's not healthy. You know, sometimes very alert and bright, sometimes quite tired. So you can you can see and start to sense how this change, this ending, things come to an end. This is from Ajahn Chah. How can you find right understanding? I can answer you simply by using this glass of water I'm holding. It appears to us as clean and useful, something to drink from and keep for a long time. Right understanding is to see this as a broken glass, as if it has already been shattered. Sooner or later it will be shattered. If you keep this understanding while you're using it, that all it is is a combination of elements which come together in this form and then break apart, then no matter what happens to the glass, you'll have no problem. He says, the body is like the glass. It also is going to break apart and die. You have to understand that. Yet when you do, it doesn't mean you should go and kill yourself, just, <laughs> just as you shouldn't take the glass and break it and throw it away. The glass is something to use until it falls apart in its own natural way. In the same way, the body is a vehicle to use until it goes its own way. Your task is to see what the natural way of things is. This understanding can make you free in all the changing circumstances of the entire world. This understanding can make you free. So everything is going to lose its shine. You know, everything comes into, it's born and it glitters like the beautiful babies when they're, they first come, come, come into, the, into the world and the first two or three years, or, you know, they're just shining, radiant light beams, you know? And then it's all downhill. <laughs> <laughs> You know, if we could, if I could get that, that, that glitter of light in my eyes that those little babies have in their eyes, boy, that would be something. But it doesn't work like that. Everything has its own nature. It loses its attractiveness on some level. Everything has its peak. Everything has its prime. And then that starts to dissolve. This is from the Tao. The moon waxes merely to wane. 
An overripe peach begins to rot. A wave crests, then ebbs. In all things, when there is no longer room for advance, decay sets in. That's the law. That's the way of things. So we're hopefully we're starting to understand that the only way, the only possible way for anything to give us any lasting fulfillment is for that to be permanent. It has to it has to stay 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 stable and fixed in the exact conditions for us to for that sustaining fulfillment to happen over time. But nothing does. It's not possible. It's not the way of things. It's not the law. And the more that we actually see this, that things are going to lose that 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 radiant glitter, that that allure, then we begin to let go. We don't hold on in the same way. That that attachment, because the attachment, that that grasping, is to try to get that. That pleasure, that feel good, you know, I feel good, you know, the more that I, you know, have you um, massage, you know, you know, I, I like getting, the more that, that I get that massage, oh, it feels so good, it feels, it's like, keep it going, you know, I don't want the, <laughs> I don't want the hour to be up, <laughs> you know, I'm always like, no, the hour, the hour can't be up, but, you know, <laughs> but it's, it feels good, it feels good, it feels good, you know, we want to keep it going, but we can't. It doesn't work that way. And when we start to see this, we can't even reach out in the same way. It can't like in the way that we used to reach out to things. And I can see that I saw that for a while in my own practice where, you know, energetically I could just feel myself reaching out to a person or a situation and I just couldn't do it. My hand just couldn't go out. And it was a similar kind of feeling like knowing in some way that I was going to put my hand in the fire and get burnt. That reaching out in that same way towards that thing that I wanted to you know, give me that, it was like it would, be, it would burn. It's like, no, don't do it. Pull your hand back. Stay here. Stay here. Dilgo Kinsey Rinpoche, one of the great, greatest Tibetan masters who is now uh, passed, passed over, says, With wisdom, we are simply no longer attracted to things that cause suffering. We are no longer attracted to those things that are going to cause us suffering. Don't go there. Don't go there anymore. And it's not just what's happening within our own mind. And the patterns within our own minds, you can see how it would be true with the outer, our outer life. We just don't walk into those same situations that we know are going to cause us suffering. This is the wisdom. This is the wisdom. We start changing. We start to make choices and start to shift our situation in our life so that we're doing things that are actually bringing us something that is going to give us more lasting fulfillment, which is usually based in wisdom. Starting to put ourselves in situations that are going to support the growth and the learning and the development, knowing that it's just temporary, it's just a temporary situation, but we start feeding ourselves and nourishing ourselves 
with those conditions, those things in life that are actually going to bring about more happiness and contentment than suffering. The Buddha says, the knowledge and vision of things as they really are is a supporting is the supporting condition for disenchantment. It's a very important step on the path. The knowledge and vision of things as they are. See, the seeing clearly into the nature of things. The knowledge and vision of things as they are, which is vipassana, that's what vipassana is, seeing things as they really are, is the supporting condition for disenchantment. For this starting to to see that the picture is different than we thought it was. That what we are seeking is not in anything out there or even any experience in here. It can't be. Anything that comes and goes is not going to do it for us. So when we see that, we really see that and we know that we can't reach out in the same way to the things we've constructed in our life, whether it's the relationships or our, our work or our, uh, the, the um, path to gain wealth or uh, to gain status or power or you know, all the things we talked about the other night around the different identities. When we start to see that, that's, that's when the inner inward turning starts to happen. We start to turn inward. We start to turn inside. It's really when the path of meditation begins for people. When they know that they have to come in and really start to look closely at what's going on. Because there's just often, for many people, there's a lot of suffering, there's a lot of pain, and they know something has to change. So there's an inward turning, turning in. And Bhikkhu Bodhi, again, one of the the greatest translators of the Buddhist texts, says this is a serene and dignified withdrawal from phenomenon. Just a serene and dignified withdrawal. We just start turning in. We turn away and start turning in. Because things just no longer enchant us in the same way. They don't have that allure in the same way. They're just not as enchanting as they used to be. I was thinking around about the renunciates, the monks and the nuns, um, who intentionally take on the robes and take on the monastic life as a way to really bring this home. You know, they renounce, they renounce the worldly things. They, they take off their worldly clothes and put on the robe and, and follow many, many rules. The nuns have more rules than the monks, but you know, um, <laughs> just had to throw that out. <laughs> you have to keep the nuns in line, you know. <laughs> likely to get out of hand, you know. Um, and, the, and, 
and and when I thought about the nuns, you know how they they shave their heads and they shave their eyebrows. You know, imagine shaving your your eyebrows. It's like shave, you know, so anything that might bring about some vanity or some attachment to the body, you know, and wearing the the robes which are are, are symbolized rags in the in the in the the um, renunciate uh, ascetic life where you just you give it all up except the five um, uh, requisites of the robe and the bowl and medicine and uh, um, uh, I think it's shelter. <laughs> water filter. Water filter wasn't during the time of the Buddha. <laughs> ah, yeah, but it's not one of the five requisites, you know, but there, there's it's shelter and... Um, um, something else, but that's all. That's all that they can have. That's all they can have, and the rest is all offered to them. Everything is offered to them through generosity, through donation. So this radical renunciation to really kind of get this. There's nothing to hold on to. Nothing to hold on to. And of course, as this happens, you know, as this happens, whether you're, you know, enter into a monastic order or whether it's just for us lay people, as we start to see into the nature of things, see how things actually are, of course, fear may start to arise. It's very natural that fear would arise about what we're giving up and what we're losing and what we may have to let go of. And everybody goes through that. You know, the sense of, of recognizing the things that we are attached to and knowing that we're going to have to let go if we really let that in. We really let it in. And so the fear that arises is part of the path. It's not not supposed to happen. It's not like we're just supposed to have all these things shed away and then, you know, it all happens uh, serenely and dignified, <laughs> you know, it's natural that that would be scary and that that would be fearful. And yet as we begin to let go, the, there's the insight and the wisdom that begins to support us, that really supports us as we continue walking on the path. And also, not only does this insight and this wisdom open up for us, but as we let go, as we open up, it seems that we begin to open to a deeper yearning for the release from this habitual way of being. We start to feel sort of the repetition of the thoughts and the emotions and the, all the, 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 the dukkha, the, the, pattern, the patterns that go round and round and round, when we start to see them much more clearly, we start to touch into this, um, this yearning or this longing to be released, that we do not want to suffer anymore. We want to let go. We start to feel that place deeply where, where there's that, the, 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 the sense that it's the only thing that matters anymore is that release. 
And sometimes we may feel that, depending on how we understand the teachings, we may feel like that to be released from the rounds of samsara. You know, the, the rounds of birth and death. It's being born and then dying and being born and dying. You know, this arising and passing and arising and passing. How incessant this all is. And sometimes we just want to be released from all of it. And when that longing comes in, when we feel that deeply, we, we, we start to feel a natural readiness to let go, to relinquish the things of this world. And that, that readiness and that, that longing, that, that uh, sense of urgency sometimes, it comes through urgency, that starts to become stronger than the fear. There's a, it's a kind of energy, it's a kind of uh, a, a aliveness, a vitality, and it becomes stronger than the fear and starts to push through the fear and so that we are no longer stopped by our fear. Maybe temporarily, of course, you know, where things get really scary and feel threatening, but there is enough of that, that sense of uh, energy that can just push through and say, I want to be free. I want to be free. And then we feel this kind of profound renunciation that happens without any kind of imposition without anyone saying to us, you need to let go, or, you know, it'd be good if you became a nun, or, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, or, you know, you know, you need to go to a monastery for a while. But wh- whatever it is, it's just, it starts to just arise naturally that we want to let go and renounce the things of this world and start simplifying, making our life in some ways more simple. We let go, in some ways, of more of the complexities of, you know, sometimes relationships, you know, the complexities of our relationships or the complexities of our livelihoods or, you know, I mean, not that we necessarily have to leave our relationship. I'm not implying that, but sometimes it happens, and, but, but mostly we start to <laughs> put it out. <laughs> But there is that we start to simplify the way that we may be in our uh, behavior, in our speech, in our actions, in the ways that we create our day. Um, the, we may start taking more time in the day. We may start to enter into some kinds of trainings or at school or something that we get more nourishment f- from. And, uh, things start to shift and things start to change. It's a, a kind of a letting go of the old and bringing in the new. We bring in something new, something that is going to be more supportive for where we are, how we're evolving, how we're developing in ourselves. And so as that naturally arises, then we naturally start making different choices which then naturally starts rearranging and reconfiguring our external life as well. 
sometimes it's said that our life then becomes a, re- a reflection of our inner realization. Our life starts to uh, to shine with this realization. What we are starting to understand about the way things are. And all this energy that was bound up in the striving and the seeking and the constructing and the creating and all that busyness and you know all the way we were you know like running around like a, a chicken in a cage or uh, a mouse on a wheel or whatever metaphor you want to use now all that energy that was getting misdirected as we turn in it turns in for liberation the energy for liberation, the energy to be free, the energy to be released, released from the suffering. We can see that our thought patterns start to break up. They're not so maybe obsessive and and so uh, contracted in the same way. We may have some more space, more uh, um, the mind may be more a little bit more settled at times, more calm. We may feel more tranquility as we more ease as we move around through the day. And we can feel too and sometimes how the emotions start to release. The emotion may come but it doesn't hang around for as long as it used to. The the moods and the mind states start to move and to shift and uh, it's not so we don't get stuck as easily at times. I mean, there may be periods, but then that we can hold that with awareness and, and some wisdom, and that helps to, uh, to, to uh, allow it to move and to shift and for us to learn things and understand and to grow. But this is from uh, John Wellwood, who is a Tibetan practitioner and, and a, a wonderful psychologist who lives um, in the Bay Area where I live. He wrote a book called uh, Toward a Psychology of Awakening, which is one of my favorite books. And in it he says, uncovering the raw energy of emotions, and that means allowing the emotions to move as we're practicing and we're bringing more awareness to our experience. He says, uncovering the raw energy of emotions is like moving into the depths of the ocean underneath the white caps of emotional frenzy and the broader swells of feeling, where all remains calm, where our personal struggles empty into the larger currents of life. Where our personal struggles empty into the larger currents of life. We go deeper. We go deeper. It's not just this contracted anger and then projected out at somebody and you know, these struggles. It's, we go deeper. We start to feel and start to sense and understand and open up, make room for, space for. Start to inquire, understand what is this? And things open up for us, start to be revealed to us. And it's this insight and wisdom that is continually opened up 
as we start to turn away from the grasping and the clinging, the attaching, we turn inside, inside, we open up, and this wisdom becomes available. And this is this wisdom and insight break through to sustain us along the way, along this path. It becomes our food. It becomes our nourishment. It becomes that which is fulfilling us and gratifying us and bringing that contentment that we have been longing for and seeking. It starts to open up within our own experiences as we let go of the grass. The mind turns away from what is unchanging, from that which is anicca. Sorry, changing. The mind turns away from the phenomena, the phenomenon that is changing. Turns away from that anicca, not reaching out. It turns away from what is unsatisfactory, the dukkha. Anicca and dukkha turns away from that. And it turns towards what is truly peaceful, where the mind can truly rest. Because when we're not reaching out and we turn back, we can begin to rest. We can begin to rest. It's just that movement that movement of going out and then re- and then we talked about the rejection, rejecting what we don't like, holding on to what we do like, that movement of mind comes to a rest. The mind drops into what is truly peaceful. And this is called the deathless element. In Buddhism, death, the deathless element, because it's deathless, because it can't die, because it's never been born. It has never come into any kind of formation. It has never been constructed. It is at peace. We are at peace in that unmovability, in that stillness, where the mind is not reaching out. The mind is not moving out. It rests in peace. The Buddha says, this is from the Majjhima Nikaya, number 64, this is peaceful. This is sublime. That is the stilling of all formations, the relinquishing of the foundations, the destruction of craving. This brings dispassion, cessation, Nibbana. The cessation of that craving, of that movement. And when that movement stops, we come into stillness. It's not like the world comes to an end. It's not like all the formations come to an end or the conditions come to an end. Everything is still just as it always was. We're not grasping. We're not wanting anything to be otherwise. 
And then we come into the true equanimity. The true equanimity, the, the equanimity, which is the deepest peace, the deepest rest, the unmoving mind, the non-reactive mind, the deepest peace, the deepest equanimity, which is the same as what when we talk about Nibbana, cessation, we rest. But that ending of the craving, that too, it comes to an end. It stops. It's a, it's a formation of mind. It's a construction of mind. And that too comes to an end. And when that comes to an end, and it's not, there, there is, of course, the temporary ending, which Jeremy spoke about last night, but there is also the complete and final ending, which then when one becomes a fully realized Buddha, right? that's what it means to become a fully realized one, that craving comes to an end once and for all, but we can see in our own experience that craving come to an end, the cessation of that, even for a while, especially on retreats, when you come into this very sublime, peaceful, easeful way of being, of course, then the habits come again and, you know, start to build up <laughs> our, 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 our conditioned reality again. But we can, we can feel that, and when that comes, when that ending comes, it's not a end of everything, but we can see that it's actually a beginning of something new. That that ending, because we're still in experience, we're still in a body, we're still in a mind, it just gives bo- birth to something new. But it, there's no grasping. There's no craving. It's just then entering in the Dharma stream. We just enter into the river of life. We become the river of life. Our experience becomes the Dharma. Everything is just manifesting and appearing and, and dancing and playing and enjoying just as it is. Just as it is. That's the nature of this world. That is Dharma. Dharma is the law. Dharma is the way of things. Dharma is the natural order of things. There's no clinging. This wonderful, wonderful poet, Erica Jong, American woman, she has her, she had her own way of talking about this. Um, this is a, a one of her poems. Is life the incurable disease? The infant is born howling and we laugh. The dead man smiles and we cry. Resisting the passage, always resisting the passage that turns life into eternity. Blake Blake sang alleluias on his deathbed. My own grandmother, hardly a poet at all, smiled as we'd never seen her smile before. Perhaps the dress of flesh is no more than a familiar garment that grows looser as one diets on death. 
and perhaps we discard it or give it to the poor in spirit who have not learned yet what blessing it is to go naked. blessing it is to go naked. Let it go. Let it go. Just an empty formation. It's changing. Always changing. Changing into something else. Bhante Guttanatra has a very interesting way of talking about this Dhamma, this pure, this pure Dhamma. He says it like this. While the law of change states that nothing is permanent but ever-changing, the law of becoming states that everything is always in the process of changing into something else. Not only is everything changing into something else, but the nature of that change is a process of becoming something else, however short or long the process may be. Briefly put, the law of becoming is this. Nothing is, but is becoming. (laughs) Nothing is, but is becoming. A ceaseless becoming is the feature of all things. A ceaseless becoming is the feature of all things. We can't, there's no way, as long as we're in this human body and this mind, to stop the condition. That's the nature, that's the nature of things. Conditions arise and pass. The conditions arise and pass. They always will. They have been forever. That's who we are. That's the nature of this mind and body. And when we don't hold on to that, we enter in to the Dharma stream. We are that Dharma stream. We are that becoming. We are that incessant becoming ceaselessly becoming this dynamic, alive, vital force of life itself. It doesn't end. It doesn't end when we wake up to the truth of things. We just enter into life more fully, more dynamically, more alive. We enter into this true equanimity where we're no longer leaning after things, controlling, manipulating, wanting. We rest. We let go. We we rest. I wanted to just tell a little, just this little story on this retreat. It's just, it's just this sense of things changing and, and shifting and becoming and when there's not the grasping in it. I had a, a friend of mine last year when I, I was teaching a retreat in Canada. I stay at her house and um, 
there, she, she was managing the retreat, and we had to go drive that day to um, get to the retreat. And she was very busy and had a lot on her mind. And she had a tea ke- she had one of the, an electric tea kettle, and uh, this tea kettle, the kind that you put onto a base, and then you click it on, and so and so the the base is a kind of a rubber base, and so it connects with the electrics. So she she had boiled the kettle, and she had she was cooking something on the stove at the same time. But she took the thing off the stove, the pot off the stove, and because she wasn't paying attention, she took the kettle and put it on the hot burner, thinking you know that it was a kettle and a pot, and you know getting it all confused. So then the rubber of the bottom of the kettle went onto the stove burner, and completely melted. All the rubber melted over her electrical burner. And, of course, you know, I mean, you're not going to get that off, right? You know, so it was just this, like, okay, so now there's the tea kettle, right? It was, it was an electric tea kettle. <laughs> now it became a pot that was melted on the burner. And the stove became completely tarred in this rubber, you know, smelly rubber, you know. So she's going, oh, my gosh, you know, oh, my gosh, you know, what am I going to do, you know, in the stove? And I, you know, the rental so the stove was a rental, and um, it wasn't hers. She go, comes with the apartment. And so she's like, oh, what am I going to do? But, you know, she actually felt t- uh, kept a certain degree of balance through it. <laughs> and, then <laughs> and then she realized that actually she had two burners on the stove that were broken, and that she actually had been meaning to tell her landlord that she wanted a new stove. So then she realized that actually, now that the stove was defunct, (laughs) and one burner was completely marred in this rubber, that maybe this was the time to ask for a new stove. (laughs) So she went to the landlord and told him what happened, and and heard that she didn't have any burners, and the two were out, and she really needed a new stove anyhow. The next day, he went out and bought her a new stove. And so then she had a brand new stove in her kitchen. I mean, beautiful, shiny, sparkly. (laughs) (laughs) And I I just love the story because it's, you know, it's like, oh, you know, I, I broke my kettle. Oh, my God, how terrible, how terrible. But then it how unfortunate, but then all of a sudden it just completely transmuted into this very fortunate situation, very quickly. And she went out and bought herself a new kettle, which wasn't very expensive. So, (laughs) (laughs) just this lovely, you know, when we just can flow with with the conditions the way they are, you know, and just see this is the nature. This is the way things are in this realm. This is the way it is. That things are just going to be in this law of becoming. This is the Dharma. It's not going to change. So our job, and that's why the Buddha pointed out the second noble truth, the cause of our suffering, is the craving, is the holding. The third noble truth, there is a ending to this craving. There's an ending. 
and that is Nibbana. That is the true equanimity, the deepest peace. So I want to end with this poem um, from John O'Donohue. In out-of-the-way places of the heart, where your thoughts never think to wander, this beginning has been quietly forming, waiting until you were ready to emerge. For a long time it has watched your desire, feeling the emptiness grow inside you, noticing how you willed yourself on, still unable to leave what you had outgrown. It watched you play with the seduction of safety and the gray promises that sameness whispered, heard the waves of turmoil rise and relent, wondered would you always live like this. Then the delight when your courage kindled and out you stepped onto new ground, your eyes young again with energy and dream, a path of plenitude opening before you. Though your destination is not clear, you can trust the promise of this opening. Unfurl yourself into the grace of beginning that is at one with your life's desire. Awaken your spirit of adventure. Hold nothing back. Learn to find ease in risk. Soon you'll be home in a new rhythm, for your soul senses the world that awaits you. Let's sit for a couple minutes together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.